Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 5, Episode 17, for Saturday the 6th of May 2023. Coming up this week, it's been a week of dad duties, so writing work has had to be replaced by runs to the tip and furniture removals. I've managed to squeeze in a bit of editing, I'll let you know how that's been going. I've got a couple of money-related moans to share with you this week. Why my secret bunker books are the gift that keep on giving. And my new ebook covers have been ordered. When they arrive, I've got to get back on to Mailerlite. We'll start this week with the editing update. So no writing going on at the moment, of course, because I've written all three trilogies now. I got uh, my book to edit back from Claire Cronshaw last weekend. Now, I haven't gone through this yet. I've had a quick flick through it and Claire does the, the video just talking me through everything. Uh, I've gone through the video, had a quick look through it just to get a sense of it. <laughs> there are even more corrections to make than in this book than in the last book. Uh, so I'll work through those. Those will be the first thing I get to. Uh, but that's not going to happen for a little while yet because I've been going through the book three edits this week. Uh, and I want to get the book three edits done so that my wife can read the book and then I can get it ready for Claire in June. So very much being driven by the need to, to deliver books on time for Claire's editing schedule at the moment. Now, as far as book three edits are concerned, I've been really slack this week. I did tell you last week that my eldest child is uh, has just bought a house. And so we've been helping with the move this week as they don't have a car. So it's been very much dad duties. I'll talk to you a little bit more about those uh, later on. And also it's been a bank holiday. It's wall-to-wall bank holidays in May. And that wouldn't normally be a problem if I was at work. I'd be delighted to have so many bank holidays. But because I'm self-employed and Monday is actually a really productive work day for me because my wife's usually in at work that day, it's actually a lost work day for me at the moment. So I'm not really very happy with May from a freelancing point of view. So, so uh, Monday, again, was a write-off, but actually it didn't really matter because I was running around, uh, you know, helping youngsters uh, get their house sorted out anyway over those days. So it, it's been a disrupted week and I didn't actually get to start the edits until, was it Wednesday? Yeah, it was Wednesday. And I also slacked off on Thursday this week, so I'll, I'll talk to you about that. And what I'm really uh, confessing to you here is I've only got two days worth of edits done. So I'm only up to chapter 10, which I just finished before recording this podcast. I've edited 10 of 40-something chapters in book three so far. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this. I was, I was, I think there was a little bit of procrastination and a little bit of self-blocking going on there. Because when I'd, when I'd written the 1960s chapters of this book, when I was writing them in first draft, they were quite disrupted in that I've set them in Hull's fishing past. And there was, this is unusual for me, but I did quite a lot of research as I went along. So it felt like the writing of those chapters was slower and harder, and I was much less sure of them. Now, having come back to them this week, having had a, a break, not having written those chapters, say, for a month, it's probably about a month since I wrote those chapters, having had a break from them, I'm reading them now and thinking, actually, this is fine. This this works fine. But it felt so new to me when I was writing it. It didn't feel fine. And I, I thought that it was going to take a lot of hacking and a lot of rewriting. And to my very pleasant surprise this week, what I've written is absolutely fine. Because now I'm reading it without the, the pain and the discomfort that, that came with actually writing those words. I'm just, just reading it as a, as a reader would to a certain extent. And, and it reads fine. 
and I haven't got all that baggage of oh is this rice what's the name of that ship uh, what was that street called was it was you know what what did it look like in 1968 when Hull was very uh, dominated by the fishing industry of this area and I'd made that choice it was not a choice that I'd made when I was planning the book but I made the choice to embed it deeply in Hull's fishing heritage because there is a local element to these books. Clearly, they are of general interest. You don't have to live in Hull or know anything about Hull to enjoy the books. But what I have found from the Morecambe Bay series, for instance, is that if you do embed them very much in a local environment, the locals love it. And, it's, and, it, and it works with word of mouth in that they, they spread the books around among their friends. So I was quite keen to get that component strategically bolted down into the book. The good news is then that it's much better than I thought it was. Uh, I'm enjoying the story. I'm enjoying the 1968 scenes and I'm not having to make as many changes as I thought I was going to. I thought I was going to have to do quite a lot of rewrites here, but actually the structure, the framework is absolutely fine. I'm just checking and tweaking stuff as I go along. That's where we are with the editing. By my schedule, if I keep at it now, I should have that done by the next time I record a podcast diary for you. I hope I will. I'd really like to have it done next week and pass on to my wife to have a look at. And then I will get back to book two and getting that ready in a fit state for the beta rate readers. As far as marketing is concerned this week, I did say in the headlines for this week's show that I was going to have a few money moans for you. And this is money moan one this week. I don't know what's going on with Facebook ads. I think I alluded to it last week. But for some reason, I'll, I, I usually check the numbers first thing in the morning over my morning cup of tea. I see how much has come in overnight and what my ads have cost me and what I'm paying for Amazon ads and then work out if I'm in profit, which I am usually most of the time, which is a good thing. But Facebook keep charging me what seemed to be completely finger in the wind amounts. So I know roughly what I'm spending every day. I've, I've put a budget cap on it. So off the top of my head, I can't remember what it is, but I'm, I'm spending however much it is a day. And I'm coming down and looking at what my spend is on Facebook ads. And I'm thinking, whoa, that's a bit much. And this has happened several times in the last couple of weeks where I look at it and think, whoa, that's, that's too much. And then what happens is that the figure is adjusted at some point, usually with, within 24 to 48 hours, and we see what the number should have been. And at that point, I see that I, my ads are well in profit. But when I, when I look at the amount that they've they put the figure in the wind amount, I'm looking at that thinking, oh, well, that, that's not good. That's, uh, you know, those ads aren't in profit. But when, when I get the adjustment, it's all fine. Now, this is really making it hard to, to judge the adverts. And I've, I've not been aware of this before, but it, it sort of takes a leap forward and then it comes back to what it should be. Really hard to budget. So that, that's money moan number one. Not much I can do about it, other than to say it's very hard to hit a moving target. And what I have to do is, is stop myself from that knee-jerk reaction to think, oh my God, losing money, turn the ads off. But you know, really, it's, it's not good for an advertising medium when you need to keep a very close look at how much am I spending how much am I making and am I in profit? You need to be watching that like a hawk all the time with your adverts, and, and as I do every morning. But uh, yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Uh, presumably some algorithmic quirk again in Facebook, uh, but it's not making me very happy at the moment. So I've put that down as one of my, my money moans. And my second money moan 
<laughs> there are three of them actually. I think I said a few, but there's, there's three money moans this week. My my next money moan also relates to my ads, and this is the Amazon ads that I run. What I don't like in my Amazon ads is the VAT being added retrospectively. So when I go to my dashboard, I see how much I've spent on the ads, and I put this into my spreadsheet because I like to know what my money is. I, I do it first thing in the morning. I always like to see money in, money out, what's profit. And I do that virtually every day over my morning cup of tea. So I do watch it like a hawk. But the amount that I'm spending on ads in the dashboard is minus VAT. So when I get a bill at the end of the month, it, it has the VAT added and that's 20%. So if I'm spending 300 quid on Amazon ads, that's a lot of money. It's 50 something quid, whatever 20% of 300 is, it's 60. Oh, don't do maths live. Don't do maths live on a podcast, Paul. Whatever it is, you, you work it out. I can't think and do maths at the same time and talk too. So yeah, it, they add the VAT, but it puts a lot on. And I'd rather the VAT was, I'd rather what I saw in my console was the amount I'm going to pay. Now, I know that as I'm entering the amount in the spreadsheet, it would, it's fairly easy to just add 20% all the time. But so it's, this is a more minor money moan, I guess. But I, I just would like to see what am I going to be charged in the console? You know, not, not, not what am I going to be charged minus 20%. Uh, it just makes it much easier and quicker for me to keep on the money. So it's just money moans this week, I'm afraid, as far as the ads are concerned. Just things that are making it more difficult for me to keep on top of my expenses. Kobo have given me two promos in the last couple of weeks. So these start next week, actually. I've got the Grid Trilogy box set in for a Mother's Day US promotion. That promotion runs in US only, obviously, from May the 11th to May the 16th. And yesterday, I got a note saying that Now You See Her, which is my only psychological thriller that is listed wide, that has been accepted for the Mother's Day long weekend super sale promotion. And that runs from May the 11th to May the 24th. And it's in Canada only. So again, I keep saying this about Kobo, uh, just like BookBub ads, I keep uh, looking at the promotions tab in Kobo. If you haven't got it already, then you need to uh, send an email to the support desk and they'll add it to your, to your tabs if you don't see promotions there. I check it very regularly. And what I tend to do is I tend not to pay for the ads now on Kobo because I don't generally make much money on them. But I tend to go in for all the promotions where um, I think Kobo take 10% cut of, of whatever we make, something like that, in, you know, in addition to their normal cut, it's something like that. Uh, so I, I go for the ones that are um, pay as you pay as you sell, basically, rather than paying up front. And I don't make an awful lot of money from them. Uh, you know, a couple of quid here and a couple of quid there. I, I wish I wish it was more, but it isn't. But I do keep going in for them. And that means I'm constantly making an income, however small, from the sales that I make on Kobo. So if you haven't looked at that promotions tab or you haven't got it set up, it's a real top tip to get that done. I've got quite a lot of other writing-related news this week, and I just wanted to clarify something that I mentioned to you last week about Ingram Spark now not charging you for uh, book uploads. I wasn't sure last week when I spoke to you about whether the revisions were also free of charge, uh, but they are. So you get to... Th th this is really 
quite good. And I, I do wonder, actually, how much or whether it will make any impact on the Alliance of Independent Authors uh, membership. Because as I've said in, in the little trailers and the promos that I've done on this podcast, um, you, you can actually make your money back on Alliance of Independent Authors membership if you've got a couple of books, s simply by getting those free codes over the course of a year. And I did, do wonder whether it will have any adverse effect there. But... Um, and, and I actually mentioned this in their newsletter the other day too. They're waiting for clarification with this. But here's the latest on it. So with your uh, Ingram Spark, you will get um, uploads and revisions for free, but they're not like perpetual revisions. It's only for a, a period of you know of, of a certain time. So that's great. I mean, it's fabulous from the Ingram Spark point of view. And I think what the Alliance of Independent Authors are actually clarifying is whether it has any impact on the commissions that you have to pay to the Alliance of Independent Authors. So that will come out in the wash, I guess. Something else I've done this week is it's only a week or two until we go to Hull and Rotterdam. And if you've got a really good memory, you'll recall that I have been promised a trip around the Hull Tidal Barrage. I just happened to reach out to the people who run and operate that and they were very keen uh, to give me a tour of it so me and my wife are going for a tour we'll take some photos for promotional purposes um, I wrote back to them this week via email and ominously rather ominously I haven't heard yet so I'm hoping this person's on holiday at the moment but I was seeking the date and the time for the visit um, we've got I think it's the Friday the Friday are we there I can't remember the dates actually no it's the Thursday it's very confusing because when you sail from Hull on the ferries you sail overnight so you get on the ferry about six o'clock in the evening and then you arrive in Rotterdam the next morning and when you come back you board in the evening and you arrive in Hull in the morning so, so you're sailing overnight effectively so I have to get my head round when we're traveling and I, I think yeah we, we arrive <laughs> I can't remember when we arrive anyway we've got a day we've got a day before we sail doing research and taking location photos and when we get back uh, on the Monday morning I think it is then we've got a day to to do a bit more research so two days of research that's the easiest way to say it I can't remember when we were sailing it's all written down on an email somewhere uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, there, there are a lot more locations in these books than I thought there would be. And they're spread out geographically a little bit wider than I thought they would be. So we're going to be doing a lot of, um, you know, f photography, a lot of visiting. And it'd be lovely because these are all our old haunts, of course, from when we used to live uh, in the city. But looking forward to the tidal barrage. It always worries me a little bit when you send an email and you don't get a reply to it. So, well, let's see. I'll, hopefully I'll have that all confirmed by next week. I sent off my ebook e cover order to Elizabeth Mackey, who does my covers for the thrillers at the moment. Um, so I've, I've ordered, obviously, the full trilogy, and now I know what the titles are. Uh, I could order the books. And, and what I'm going for with these covers is the the ones the nine covers that I used for the Morgan Bay series have worked really well. Uh, they, they, they seem to sell okay. They look really nice when they're lined up. And so when I sent my briefing email to Elizabeth, what I'm going for with these new thrillers is a, a more conventional look. I want the, the figure of the woman in, in, in silhouette on, on the front of them, you know, the kind of psychological thriller that you get, the, the 
detective kind of thrillers that you get it, uh, so with uh, Mark Dawson and with Lee Child you get the silhouette of the guy it's that that kind of look but I've also uh, in my briefing notes I don't know what Elizabeth will do with this I have said about some of the locations that I've used and what I you know in my in my mind I'm imagining the silhouetted figure and and a view of the local location where the, the crimes and the action takes place. And I've said that potentially this series could go on for a number of books. So we need to come up with a format that's replicable over a number of books. And I've sent her some examples of covers that I really like, the sort of thing that I'm looking for with this series. So uh, I, I've left that with Elizabeth. What I always say to designers is, look, you know, I'm, I'm an idiot. I can't design for a toffee. You know, I draw stick men and that's, that's my level of design ability. So I'm always happy to defer to uh, a designer's concepts and creativity. But that's the kind of guidance that I've given for that. So we'll see what comes back. Now, the moment those ebook covers come back and I accept them, then I really then need to start thinking about pre-orders on Amazon and really confirming those launch dates. And also I need to be letting my my readers, my list, my MailerLite list know about that. And to be honest with you, I think, you know, when those ebook covers arrive and I start getting excited about things, I think that'll be about the time I'll get excited about writing those emails because I've got some purposeful news to share with everybody at a nice time scale. So uh, I'll let you know when the covers are done. I always get a bit nervous about this because when, when you've got three covers coming, you just keep your fingers crossed that they're good and that you like them and you don't have to send them back with a sigh and say, I'm sorry, I really don't like these. Can you go back to the drawing board? So I, I hope I don't have to do that. I hope, you know, I hope they're looking good when they come. Now on to money moan number three, just the three money moans this, this week. And if you were expecting Amazon payments over the bank holiday weekend, and this may not have affected you if you live in the US or elsewhere in the world, but in the UK, these blooming bank holidays, the, the dates fell so that, was it, I think it was May the 1st, was it, on, on Monday? And so the, the payments always come from Amazon, unusual dates. So I, th I think the, the payments usually come something like 28th or 29th of the month. And then for some bizarre reason that I can't fathom, my UK payment, which is always the highest one, it's the one I want in my bank account ASAP, my, my, my UK payment always follows a couple of days later. I cannot work that out at all. Anyhow, that's an ongoing little annoyance. But this week, the money didn't come in until after the bank holiday. So I was half expecting to be paid, certainly the everything but the UK, certainly that, on, on fr last Friday, that money didn't come in, didn't wasn't going to come in over the weekend, and it didn't come in until Tuesday of this week. And then, to add insult to injury, the UK payment followed a day or two later. So that really is is quite uh, poor practice. You know, I expected Amazon to release those payments before the bank holiday. It's one of these banking anomalies, isn't it, when, when money's due. But what I notice is, is that the banks always seem to manage to get the bills out on time, but they don't, we don't, the, 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 it's the payments in that always seem to get delayed, never the payments out. And um, I did see people, I, I had a little search on this, because I thought, well, this, is a, this is a bit of a niggle, I think. It's not a very good timing, I don't think. And I found a post on Self-Publishing Formula where one of the authors there uh, had got uh, 
bills going out and their money hadn't come in to pay the bills because it had come in late and this is what I say it, it always shafts you it never kind of you know you never get to keep extra money for, for any length of time it's always seldom in your favor it's usually working against you and this particular author was was saying about this and saying am i the only one and so everybody kind of piled in saying no i haven't been paid i haven't been paid either and somebody had got a reply from amazon saying that it was a glitch now i don't think that's a glitch i think it's just a bank holiday weekend and that you know if you'd have made the payments earlier that have all gone through before the bank holiday weekend now it happens with salaries and it happens you know it's always happened with salaries that your well all the companies i've ever worked for have always paid bank holidays money if it falls on a bank holiday they've paid it before the bank holiday not not after it because that recognizes that people have bills to pay if you've got mortgages or you know car payments or credit card payments or whatever it is you've got to pay most people set those around their payday and if that payday uh, comes in late because of a bank holiday it can really screw things up so uh, as, as i say it didn't particularly affect me but it is a money moan and it's i think it's bad practice you know i think it's better practice it keeps everybody sweet if you make sure those payments they're in plenty of time so they don't get hit by a bank holiday uh, it was very interesting this week. The uh, I'm kind of getting used to the sell more book show new format. I would rather it was like it was before, but I'm, I'm, I've grown accustomed to it. I've adjusted to it. I don't like it as much as the old format, but I'm, I am still listening. I'm not going to leave it. I am still going to listen because I'm getting value from it still. And they were discussing this week the Alliance of Independent Author Income Survey, which I'd kind of I haven't really I'd looked at it and I'd taken it at face value I hadn't really thought about it or, or been critical about it in any way but I thought the take on this week's Selmore book show was a good one uh, with Claire giving a bit more context and insight into the numbers she interrogated it a little more than I certainly have and it just made me reflect and think mm, that that is that is interesting and she's come up with some really good points there uh, and, and they weren't all entirely uh positive let's say not positive they weren't negative points but they were more critical points with uh, greater critical thinking is what she applied that's that's all i mean so whenever we get statistics uh, you know you shouldn't just accept them at face value you should say how many people were questioned uh, you, you know and, and was there bias within the questioning and and claire made a couple of points there that i thought just made me think twice do a double take on that survey and think mm, th yeah those are good points and, and really what she was saying is that you know potentially it is a little bit flawed but I think in fairness the Alliance of Independent Authors have also said that themselves that they want to come back to this and uh, one of the things Claire was saying that was that she felt that perhaps there was a bias towards those who are earning uh, more obviously those who are earning more income want to shout about it those who are earning you know a couple of pounds here there uh, won't want to shout about it so she was talking about the natural bias within that uh, but i think i think the alliance of independent authors have, have recognized that and i know they're going back for a second sitting to try and sort that out and make sure this is really authoritative uh, information but as i say you know i, I thought that selma book show this week is well worth listening to for a little bit more context on that survey I sent off for a, a physical uh, book or booklet. I'm not quite sure what's going to arrive because it seemed quite good value. I just happened to see this in my Facebook feed. It's um, There is a, a writing magazine in the United Kingdom. It's called Writing Magazine. Uh, it's in the UK. I, I assume you can get it shipped worldwide, but it's the sort of thing that appears on the shelves of newsagents in the UK. 
and it just I, I follow their Facebook page and I just I thought it was actually this month's edition of the magazine but it's not it's a special publication that they've created it's called writing crime it's a, an online booklet or pamphlet which you order for two pound fifty and if you live elsewhere in the world and you're interested worldwide delivery is available it's an extra three pound for worldwide delivery so it can't be very big it must be more of a pamphlet or a leaflet than a book but if you live in the US, for instance, and you wanted to order it, it would cost you £5.50, which is going to be, what, about $7? I mean, I would say that even in dollars, that's great value. So what they're describing this is, as is an essential handbook for anybody wanting to turn their hands to committing a crime on paper, of course, it jests. Whether you write procedural, psychological thrillers, detective stories, historical crime, cyber thrillers or anything else, you need to get your story right. That's where this handbook, packed with tips, insights and advice, can help. It includes in-depth crime writing workshops uh, to help you to plot the perfect crime, advice from crime experts on the realities of policing and a look at what really goes on inside a prison, top tips from some of the world's finest crime writers, insight into subgenres and much more. That has got my name written all over it uh, and for £2.50 and I think I can't remember what the postage was in the UK was it £2? Well it, yeah it was about £2 or a pound. it wasn't very much um, that's great I mean that's just right up my street and I know I've spoken to a few of you who you know who write in my genre who listen to the podcast and I thought you might be interested in it too so I have put the link in this week's show notes if you want to order that and take a look at it. In the headlines, I said that the secret bunker is the gift that keeps on giving. And it really is because the, the real life secret bunker placed an order this week for £349.50 worth of paperbacks. That was 30 copies of book one, 10 copies of books two and three, uh, which is fantastic. And what they've realised is that um, when, when they did the first ever order, which must be years ago now, I think it was something like 30 of book one, 30 of book two, 30 of book three. And what they've obviously realised is that most people will, will go for book, book one and some people will go for the whole trilogy. And so they tend to order fewer of books two and three and more of book one which is great you know it's 50 books that's fantastic isn't it 50 paperbacks so that was great I mean I'm really grateful for their continued support it really is the gift that keeps on giving because that book I think was published in 2015 2016 and I, I also know that the books send people to the bunker too because I've had personal conversations with people about that people have read the books and, and looked at the bunker as a, as a result of the book so it really is a, a relationship that works you know very well in, in both of our favors I think and it was only by accident uh, you know I wish I could say it was some clever strategy on my part but it is just a happy accident but there are there are lessons there I'm considering perhaps making my Morecambe Bay series available maybe to the Winter Gardens in Morecambe. It's a, it's a place where there's a rather macabre murder uh, takes place. And uh, I am considering making it available to, to, to see if they would want to stock it or maybe the first trilogy. It's one of the things on a long list of general writing issues that I want to attend to at some point. But it has worked really well for me at The Secret uh, Bunker. And they make profit on the books, of course. I think they, they buy them in from Amazon at about £6.99. I think, if I remember correctly, they charge uh, 9 99 for them in the shop, which means they probably make more profit than I do on, on selling them up. And, and the other tip about paperbacks, by the way, 
is don't put your price on the back because it allows people like the secret bunker to then price them at whatever you know whatever they want to price them at and make whatever margin they can so so don't print your price on the back of your paperbacks uh, you know don't don't worry about that uh, because then everybody can sell them at whatever they can get for them in whatever location they're selling them because they're a tourist venue i mean to get a family into the secret bunker you know what it costs to get into tourist venues these days you're probably paying a fair few pounds you know just to get into the bunker which means you've also got a fair few pounds probably to spend on the books so you know good on them if they're getting mark upon them it's great that we're all making our profit down the the food chain and i too had a nice little bump to my earnings this week as a result of that i want to recommend to you once again amelia d hayes podcast the authorpreneur podcast uh, this is one that i like to listen to it's in my feed i really enjoyed the episode uh, this week um, there were some very funny comments in it i know i know we're not supposed to be doing podcasts to be comedy episodes uh, but there were some very uh, funny asides that made me laugh this week and there were lots of indie author truth bombs i thought uh, i said i dropped amelia a note and said you were on fire in this week's podcast episode it, you know it was really good very very honest and very uh, funny i thought very revealing which is just how I like my podcasts. And what I would particularly ask you to note in this episode is what terrible experiences Amelia's had listing direct on Barnes and Noble. It, I, I nearly did this. We both, ascended, uh, we both attended, obviously, the same Going Wide webinar because I mentioned it to you on the podcast saying, oh, it's interesting. I'm, you're being advised to list directly on Barnes and Noble and being advised to list directly on Apple Books. And I was about to do it when I heard Amelia's podcast when she said, you know, don't do it. It's all, it's full of problems. And she goes into more detail about the problems this week. And, and basically the bottom line is just stay with Draft the Digital, you know, unless you're really keen. And, and actually, and again, I must qualify this. This is a UK problem. That Amelia's having with tax it's about tax withholding and that Barnes and Noble just don't seem to understand that tax withholding is a thing if you live in the UK so this is probably not something that's going to affect you if you live in the US but it is something that affects us in the UK now I'm, I, I'm not coming out of draft the digital I'm just going to stay put there uh, based on what I've heard Amelia saying and uh, what made me laugh the most are a couple of things that made me laugh in this week's uh, episode but but what made me laugh the most is what a nuisance ill husbands can be uh, you'll have to listen to the podcast to hear what's said about that but yeah it's a really good episode so uh, i highly recommend it to you and also by the way it's uh, the next episode that amelia releases is her hundredth podcast episode congratulations on that that is a great achievement and she is accepting for that special episode questions if you've got any kind of self-publishing questions Amelia also makes covers for books too if you've got any questions to ask it's a great time to ask them because that's what she's dedicating the next podcast episode to I said that while I'm not writing I'm having learning hours th th this week so normally when my wife is at work when I was writing I would have spent three hour long blocks uh, roughly writing and I'm very keen to preserve that concept of work an hour, short break, work an hour, short break, work an hour, finish. So to make up the time, obviously editing is going to be part of that time. And actually uh, what I did do with the editing is I, I took a lot more time about it this week. Uh, I just, I took two hours to do the, the five chapter edits. and just took my time, just checking things, a really slow edit. And I, I enjoyed it actually. And then I did the learning hour after that. 
and the learning hour is shortly going to be dominated by the Matthew J. Holmes Amazon ads bit the, the maths bit that I don't like but this week what I did is I've been working through the pro writing aid crime week content which has been great I really do like those uh, pro writing aid weeks they're very useful and they have some great guests on there and I also worked through a Sophie Hanna webinar this week uh, but I, I haven't got a lot done in all fairness this week but that that's what I did get of the little I did get done that's what I did get done this week in my learning hours I seem to have a lot of links to share with you again this week. I'll just I'll rattle through them just to give you an idea what's involved. I've got a couple from the Publish Drive newsletter. Uh, again, I recommend that you sign up for and receive the Publish Drive newsletter, whether or not you list with Publish Drive or not. Uh, I, I've shared on the links this week an article called The Top seven book aggregators compared now you know clearly it's a blog post written by published drive and so it has a published drive bias but they've got a really nice uh, uh, breakdown in a what do they what do you call them a nice visual uh, in infographic that's the word i'm looking for they've got a nice infographic where you can compare all of the listing platforms and there's a couple in there that i've never even heard of actually so oh, well is it one well, no, uh, yeah, I've heard, I have heard of those actually. I don't know much about them, but there's one called, is it Zinzi? I've never heard of that. Uh, never heard of it. And so, uh, you know, this is why this stuff's useful. It's useful to keep your antennae twitching all the time, even if you don't use the service. And then in, in this blog post, they go through all the, the various pros and cons of each of these. Uh, listing sites these aggregators but it's great and uh, again i i learned of a site that i'd never even heard of before so i will share that with you on the show notes so then a second uh, blog post from published drive this week how do you advertise a book and it's just uh, an info it's uh, probably probably more use to you if you're newer to self-publishing or publishing but it, it's just a, a round robin talking about uh, having an author page an email list uh, how your book covers and descriptions help, uh, book reviews, how they can help, talking about where you can advertise your books. It's just a general round robin, which I thought was very useful, which I think will be you know, very helpful if you are trying to sort of advertise and sell your book. So that, that will be put on the show notes again for this week. Also on the show notes, uh, this is one of these kind of, I don't know, left of centre kind of, articles that I share occasionally. It's from Inc.com and I'll read the headline to you. This time management expert is making the case for a bare minimum daily routine. So often when we talk about time management, we're, we're told to have tick lists or, or however you do it, check checklists. I have planning boards and things like that. And this turns that on its head and it's much it's much less threatening, much less worrying if the, if you find a, a checklist of things to do every day very daunting. And, it, and it, it talks about having a bare minimum daily daily routine where you just literally go for the kind of priorities. Now, I'll let you read the article and see what you think of it, but it's basically a defense of a, a more lazy kind of daily routine. And interestingly, this is something, before I read this article, this is something that's been on my radar because I was saying to my wife, I'm wondering what would happen if at the end of this quarter, this quarter's all tightly planned, as you know, I'm wondering what would happen if I didn't have a plan for the quarter. Now, in my head, I know all the things that need to be done. But I wondered 
if I didn't have the, the daily plans that I have, if I just turned up at my desk and I worked as I felt like it on the tasks that I felt like. And, I, and I'd been considering that. And this routine in the article, the Inc.com article, is bare minimum daily routine. This is alluding to that, that kind of setup. And I just wondered, I wonder how much I would get done if I just did the work that I want to do when I feel like it. I wonder what I would achieve over a quarterly period compared to what I normally do. And I'm, you know, I'm always up for trying new stuff. And that, I don't know whether I'm gonna do it yet. I don't know whether I've got the courage to do that. But I'll share this article with you because I read it with interest and it might just make you think about how you plan your time in a slightly different way. Uh, Mark Dawson uh, published one of these lovely Twitter threads that I like and uh, I heard it first, I heard about it first on the creative pen, I missed it in my feed. But it, Mark, Mark's having tremendous success with his his book that's in the Richard and Judy book club in the UK. That's a really big thing. You, you know, everybody would love their book in the Richard and Judy book club in the UK. It's just brilliant marketing for you. Uh, and actually, I was in Scotland yesterday. I sent Mark a photograph of the book at Glasgow Railway Station because it was in the WH Smiths there. But Mark obviously has been at this for a long time. And like all of us, he hates the word um, journeys but actually he shares his journey, his writing journey in, in this Twitter thread. And like all of our journeys, you know, it, it's paved with problems, uh, discouragements, things that didn't work, uh, failures that he had. You know, he didn't just turn up and start writing books that go to Richard and Judy Book Club. And I, I think posts like this are really valuable. So I've shared the link to that post and you can see Mark's writing journey, how he got from a Z in terms of the success of the, this particular book that's currently being very nicely marketed throughout the country. I've also shared a post from the novelry.com, which is a post called How to Write a Novel. Uh, again, it's one of these articles that I like, just nine steps to write a novel, all the things you need to think about. I, I read all of these. I love these numbered posts or these posts that that say 10 ways to do this, five ways to do that. This has got nine things that you need to think of when you're writing a book. And I think they're really, they're always really useful, great to read. And you might pick up a few tips from them. I got some value from this. So I've put it on the show notes for this week. And that's from the novelry.com, by the way, another source of great information. Uh, written Word Media, these are the people who do free booksy and bargain booksy. I've recommended on a number of occasions that you sign up to get their their kind of marketing blog posts because they're sharing some great information too. And the article I'm sharing this week is five pieces of book blurb advice that you should avoid. Now, I'm getting to book blurbs. I've already got my first draft book blurbs because as you'll know, if you listen to my writing diary, when I plan a book now, I write the book blurb before I write the book because I find that focuses me, gives me laser focus on what this book is all about, and what the themes are all about. So I'm very much in the market for uh, an article on book blurbs because I'm going to be have to, I'm going to have to be listing these on pre-sale shortly on Amazon. But also I've ordered the ebook covers from Elizabeth Mackey this week. I'm going to have to as soon as I get the last edit back from Claire, and I've confirmed the. Uh, you know how many pages are in each of the paperbacks. I'm going to need to get those paperback covers ordered as well. 
So, um, and I, when I do the paperback covers, I'm going to have to have a, another blurb for the back of the paperback. So that's the joy of doing ebook covers. You don't need to have any wording on them other than the title, uh, subtitle, and your name. When I do the paperbacks, I have to have all that that blurb for the back written. So I'm putting that off as long as I can. So this is about, uh, it's basically you know an article on book blurbs, well worth a read if you are in the zone or if you just want to get some ideas or some help with book blurbs. Those sorts of things are always useful. And then finally, uh, this is from the Pro Writing Aid Crime Week. It was the video that Abigail K. Perry produced two videos i'll share the links to the youtube videos for you and they're from the bookends literary agency so both of these videos are about how to create a hook for your book so abigail went into this in great detail in her presentation but getting a hook for the book is is essential and both of those videos talk to you about how to do that also it's worth actually i had a look at the bookends literary agencies which i would never heard of before uh, I had a look at that and I've subscribed to the YouTube feed because there's loads of great uh, free content on there. All of the links are will be found on the show notes for episode 17 at selfpublishingjourneys.com. They'll just save you hunting for everything. You can go straight to the source of the information. In personal news this week then, um, I, I did tell you that I've been doing dad duties all over the weekend. So we, we, we I've been collapsing furniture taking stuff to the tip, running bits that were left <laughs> from the house over to the new house, the old house, the new house. Uh, we had a cat uh, to move over, you know, all the stuff. Um, it was interesting that I was, was I, was it Saturday morning? I think it was Saturday morning I was in the house because they had a charity picking up some furniture that they were getting rid of. And all the furniture was in the lounge. They came to pick all the furniture up and they wouldn't take this huge armchair. They said they didn't think that they could sell that. And I thought, all right, that's going to be a problem. So I, I spent Saturday collapsing a huge armchair. Now, it was fascinating because I've never actually torn an armchair together. It was too big to get in the car, by the way. It was a really big armchair. It wouldn't go in the car. Uh, so it was either that or pay to have it taken away. And I said to the kids, I think you're going to have to pay someone to take that away and take it to the tip. And then when I went for my lunch, I thought, I reckon I could do this. So I took a Stanley knife and a hammer to it. And bit by bit, I not, literally knocked the stuffing out of it, took the stuffing out of it, and then collapsed the frame. It was fascinating to see how you make an armchair. Uh, those of you who are slightly older, my kind of age in the UK, will remember play school, where they used to show you, they used to go through the round window, the square window, or the arched window, and they used to show you how things were made. It was always a part of that programme that I really loved. Well, this is, I did it in reverse, in that I took an armchair to pieces and found out how an armchair is made. Now, this armchair was big, but I managed to collapse it into smaller parts that managed to get squeezed into the back of the car and managed to take it to the tip. So uh, that's kind of been my weekend. There, there was another, there was a unit that the kids had got upstairs in the room, in the bedroom, and they'd realised that there was no way that was coming down the stairs in one piece. It was far too big. I think removal men had done it the first time round. So <laughs> they just they just collapsed it and got rid of it. So there was an awful lot of wood there to remove and take to the tip for recycling. So it was just kind of one of those weekends where we were running backwards and forwards. And it was nice, actually, because... Uh, we went out for lunches as well. Uh, you know, when you get hungry when you're working, doing physical work, we went out for teas and lunches at, at Costa's a couple of times, which is just up the road. So it was it was actually a nice weekend. I enjoyed it far more than if it was me moving house. When, when, it, when I'm moving house, it's my hassle. Everything I have to organise everything and do everything. 
but it's somebody else you could just come in like the cavalry and do selected tasks and then and then disappear into the distance leaving them to do all the unpacking and, th and that's what it was like for me but uh, it was good fun, more fun than I expected it to be. Uh, you know, really nice. You know, having all you know, having the kids around and my wife was helping. It was just a nice sociable weekend. And um, we, we've got the house move done now. We also had to get a clean done of the house that they were coming out of. So yeah, it's all done. Everything's done. Uh, it was enjoyable, but it's what disrupted my writing this week. It's why I kind of thought I, I really can't be bothered to do this. Let's just get one job done. Let's get the kids moved and out of one house and into another, and then I'll get on with the writing and then and then just to add insult to injury we had got I don't think I told you about this last week I'm on a, a mailing list for BBC shows and tickets and I've been to see a couple of shows I, I went to see oh what's it called the thing with Noel Edmonds deal or no deal I went to take my mum to see that in Bristol before COVID. Uh, I, I, we knew somebody. I don't know. How, you know how these connections are. You're only supposed to be so, so many connections removed from different people. Somehow, my mum knew the mother of one of the producers of Deal or No Deal. And they got us some front row tickets for Deal or No Deal. So I took my mum down to Bristol to watch Deal or No Deal. That was great fun watching that being recorded. And then I took my brother because I'm BBC alumni, I could I could do certain things, which is which is great actually. It makes you feel very involved with the BBC still. And I took my brother to see a recording of the Now Show, which is just a BBC Radio Four uh, comedy that I, I listen to and like. And uh, we went to see that at the BBC. And, uh, that was the yeah London, the new the new place in London. It wasn't Broadcasting Centre where things used to be done. And so uh, I, I was on a ticket list and we got tickets for a BBC comedy. Now, nobody judge me. If you're in the UK and you know this programme, please don't judge me. Uh, but we got tickets for Mrs. Brown's Boys, which is a comedy which kind of splits the ranks on, on, on TV in the UK. Some people, it's like Marmite, you know, people love it or hate it. And I'd actually been trying, I, I don't even watch it anymore on the telly. I used to enjoy it, but it, it just sort of feels like it's run its course to me now. But... Um, it's they film it in Glasgow that's why I'd be asking for tickets for it and I've been trying for years to get tickets for Mrs Brown's Boys I thought oh, it'd be a good laugh we'll go and see how it's recorded and it's up only up at Glasgow I don't have to travel travel to London for it and um, they've knocked me back knocked me up back knocked me back and we got some tickets for it and we booked the trains to go up to Glasgow and we were heading up there and I just got I said to my wife on the day that we were going I just, I just got the COVID jitters about it and thought, I don't know whether I want to be sat in an audience where I've got no control over where I sit, um, you know, all kind of cramped in for, for the three hours that the show was being recorded. We just got the last minute jitters. And, and I said to my wife, how, how do you fancy just a nice day out in Glasgow? We'll, we'll kind of skip the recording and we'll just go and have a nice day in Glasgow as we've got the trade tickets. And that's what we did. So on Thursday, we skipped Mrs. Brown's boys and we went to uh, a photography exhibition that I'd wanted to see I'd seen it advertised on BBC News online uh, and, and this is what I every now and then I don't I don't get too excited about art and photography but when I when I like stuff or I'm interested in stuff I'm really interested in stuff and this was at Glasgow University we went to see a photography exhibition called The Cost of Dying which basically was highlighting the way in which socio-economic circumstances can affect people at the end of their life you see I, I like stuff like this is this kind of this is this kind of thing I get ideas for thrillers from it, it's just real harsh life stuff and um, so so we went to look at that 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 was really quite um moving and, and maybe sort of quite angry in a political way maybe all political 
and so we went off and had some carrot cake and, and, and a cup of tea in the restaurant at the university where they're doing a lot of work we passed the Hunterian Museum while we were there which I've been to before but we went for another look around the Hunterian because that's always nice and again um, you know if you're in the US I know that one of my kids had a friend over from the States um, they, they, they came over over um, Christmas and New Year and I know that sometimes people from the US can't believe how old some of our buildings are in, in the UK and I know my my kids mate was just like just loved the Hunterian it was just just amazing it's an incredible uh, place you know an old building and very interesting from a museum point of view so we went around the Hunterian that was good fun always interesting we walked through Kelvin Grove Park saw the squirrels and that was because my wife wanted to go to a library called the Mitchell Library which is a, an old sort of I think it's uh, it was built by Andrew Carnegie or Carnegie put the, the money into it uh, probably Victorian uh, just at a rough guess uh, the Mitchell Library which um, was a library she'd never seen she knows Glasgow really well uh, she used to go there when she was a teenager uh, she goes there a lot now we, we tend to gravitate to Glasgow rather than Manchester or Newcastle uh, we, we like Glasgow a lot and I had a, one of my kids was at university there and I might have another child at university there shortly um, so so we, we like to go to Glasgow so we looked around the Mitchell library which was fantastic uh, that was new for both of us and then I went to get some new running shoes there's a shop I really like in Glasgow where they put you on a treadmill and they they look at your gait and they make sure your your running shoes are adjusted for your gait and I run very in a very skew-if way so I got some proper running shoes there we go to a running shop in Glasgow and then we had a lovely evening me and I caught the train back so um, we were supposed to be watching the recording of a comedy but we ended up just having a like a wonderful day out in Glasgow it was brilliant um, so we really enjoyed that and of course no work got done I must mention though that I'm reading a book at the moment called Exit Stage Left caught by Nick Duerden, I think his name is, and it's subtitled The Curious Afterlife of Pop Stars. I was reading this on the train yesterday on the way there and back, and I've got this from the library. I'm actually I'm actually getting many more books now from the library because when I when I see a book that I want to read, rather than buying it now, I check at the local library. They've usually got it. It's fantastic. So I had this on 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 request from the library. And it's basically looking at what happens to pop stars after they fade from the limelight i love stuff like this and it's got all sorts of all sorts of pop stars that they've talked to in this and already about three or four chapters in what you can glean from it uh, already is it has a lot of bearing on us as authors and why why i've learned already from it they've gone through artists who generally messed things up through drugs addictions to drugs but what's very clear already this early on in the book is that when you create assets like music or in our case books a lot of these people had, had just lost all the money that they'd made as pop stars but because they had creative assets out in the world and they'd kept the the rights to them they, they, they'd still got paid for them these sometimes uh, a piece of music they're done might be played on an advert they'd make a lot of money from the advert all of a sudden and then there'd be renewed interest in them and, and all the time several times they were like cats with nine lives their music would come round in cycles and at low points in their life they get the opportunity to make money again because of these assets they'd be renewed interest and renewed interest in them and they'd do tours and, and so I, I already very strongly i've taken as an author you know we must have creative assets that we own and control 
because at any time somebody might look at a book you wrote 10 years ago and want to turn it into a tv series maybe it didn't resonate then but it resonates now i you know i'm huge on, on this is why i moved from internet marketing to writing because i wanted to put assets out into the world you, you know that, that you could make money from after your death and what we all hope of course is that we have the hit we need the hit if we can get it you know but these things can earn from us year in year out the, the secret bunker is a great example of that uh, released eight years ago and, and, and somebody's just placed a 350 quid order for the paperbacks which is fantastic and that's brought a nice little flurry of income in for me this week and the more of these income producing assets that we get out in the world the more lovely little surprises that we can get like that and another example of this is johnny is it johnny b truant uh, johnny truant who's on the american podcast with sean and dave he's just had i think the the first or one of the first books he ever wrote fat vampire has been turned into a sci-fi series and think of all the things they've written since he wrote that and they've come back to the one that he did first or very early in his career income producing assets if you've ever read uh, rich dad poor dad robert kiyosaki you can sum that whole book up in one phrase income producing assets and that's what we make as authors that's what pop stars make and you can make money from these assets you know year in year out and sometimes you can have a real flurry of income from them so just because the book you launched this week this month this year didn't work doesn't mean it's not going to work forever you can repackage it your time might come you might write a breakthrough book and everybody will be reading your back catalogue you know all of these these are all putting lining up brownie points for the future but there's nothing quite like it when i used to create content as a digital marketer they used to burn bright and then they'd just die there was no use they had no longevity whatsoever but the books that we write have longevity just like the music that the pop stars write in this book and so therefore we're in the right game i'm convinced we're in the right game with this so yeah that book is called exit stage left it's by nick jordan if you like your music your pop music which i do uh, it's well worth a read i'm really enjoying that so far okay let's move on to healthy author updates then so uh i'm going to be running a 5k park run on saturday a 5k at the nature reserve on sunday on wednesday i have a 10k in the evening it's an urban trail through the city i'm really looking forward to that hopefully it won't rain it's really nice on a summer night lots of people attend that run i did it last year i've got a treadmill run on bank holiday monday and a club run on thursday so i'm knocking up a lot of kilometers this week i didn't get because of all the disruption this week i haven't done any weights and stretching exercises i've got my runs in this week but i haven't got my weights and stretching exercises so i need to get back to that next week um, and i'm not it, it, because my routine's disrupted it, it's harder to fit all this in when there are you know more people around the house but uh, i'll try and get two weights and stretching exercises in next week as well to make up for this week the fact that i haven't and then also i hit a nice little target at part run tomorrow at the time i'm recording this on friday i'm recording this on friday the 5th this is for saturday the 6th i get what's called a single ton in in, in park run tomorrow and that is where i have done 100 runs at carlisle so that's my local run event now I've done far more runs than that in total we're up to it'll actually be my 144th part run tomorrow but it's my hundredth at Carlisle 
and they have a little app where you can record all your details and they call that what's that's the single ton and they have a double ton where you do 200 at Carlisle so that's me reached one of my little kind of you know arbitrary goals for part run but I'll be very pleased with that because I, I wanted to get that in this year if I could okay that's it for this week's podcast diary we're just short of an hour so lots of information for you again this week remember that you can see my healthy author updates and images at paulteague.net forward slash run but for now that's it for this week's show thank you as ever very much for listening i hope you have a great week of writing from me paul teague it's bye-bye for now